So you hear Is it like that humming noise in the room? It? Yeah. That's what I'm getting. Oh. But it's okay. I don't know what it is. Well, I mean, it's I probably the it's, heater. It's probably like the AC unit or mm-hmm. whatever, but there's only so much you can do. You yeah. can, instead of AC unit, you can say like it's, fermenter. Yeah, it's, it's, the, <laughs> <laughs> it's the boilers running. There you go. Yeah, we heat can, all the- You got to improvise. Yeah. Really. Hey everyone, t-shirts have finally all shipped out. I have to say thank you to all those supporters who have supported us through Patreon, and my apologies to those who I know I'm just a, a little bit behind. I hope it's going to be well worth your wait. I also want to say welcome to all those new Patreon supporters who just joined us in January. This is our first podcast for February, and we're going to be back behind the scenes to see what it really takes to make bourbon happen. Our guest today is one of those unsung heroes. We look forward to bringing you more guests and even more conversation about bourbon in 2017. We're picking up steam after a record-setting month of over 41,000 plays of this podcast. It's pretty awesome, and I really, I think our goal is to hit 50,000 in February. So to keep this show going, please take a minute and support us on Patreon. We've got sponsorships starting at just $1 a month that gets you unedited footage, koozies, and of course, we have limited edition t-shirts. So make sure you visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash bourbon pursuit. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. And they're off for another Gift 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to another episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. It's just Kenny here tonight, and we are actually doing a tour of Lawrenceburg. So I'm actually over here, and we were tasting some barrels of wild turkey earlier, and I said, you know what? I need to uh, make the most out of this trip, so I'm going to go ahead and send a few emails out. And when I did that, I had a lot of responses back, and I'm so ha- so very, very happy. We actually had Woodford Reserve today, and I was trying to find, I was said, you know what? It's not going to be good if I have by myself here. So I needed to find somebody to come with me. So I had Lyndon respond back, and he said, you know what? I want to be here with you. So anybody that's never heard of Lyndon or never heard of him before. So Lyndon, give us a little background about yourself. You know, I've lived in Kentucky all my life. I live in Crestwood, Kentucky right now, about two miles away from Jefferson's Reserve. 
and you know, distilling and bourbon, you know, it's, it's been in, in my life all, you know, for my 39 years that I've lived on this planet, whether I like it or not. Um, you know, I've lived, lived in areas in the bluegrass region where there's distilleries and, and tour distilleries of, I've done the bourbon chase by distilleries, whether it's Woodford Reserve or Wild Turkey or, or Jim Beam. So, um, you know, uh, the, the bourbon industry is, is now, uh, an integral part of, of, of my existence. I love drinking bourbon. I love the, the history behind, um, our industry and, um, I couldn't be prouder of, of where it is today. So, well, I mean, what, what else do you do inside the bourbon call? I mean, you, uh, you used to work in a, uh, yeah. a bourbon kind of thing. Sure. So, sure. So, kind, so kind I, of get, I, I've some listeners about that. I've, uh, <clears throat> I, I, my background is in retail. So I've, I've managed, you know, retail, whether it's been Kroger or most recently liquor barn, I used to be a manager for liquor barn. So I've, I've dealt on the retail side and, uh, dealt with, um, you know, the three tier, distribution system from, you know, dealing with the distributors all the way up to, uh, making sure that, uh, we are, um, sound on the, on the retail side, uh, making sure that we're in stock on, um, on the products that people want most, make sure that we're, we're, our teams are knowledgeable on products, on, on taste profiles, on history of, you know, where, the, where, where our bourbon is coming from, you know, what mash bills they use. And, uh, I, I think it's so important for, uh, us who might meet people who are coming in from different states or different countries to to educate on the retail side, uh, th- those who don't really really know about um, uh, the bourbon industry and and make sure that you know w- when they're purchasing and choosing a product from from the store, just how how much thought and innovation and um, just uh, genuine thought went behind uh, that product. So, um, Lyndon, I guess I guess question for you before we start is: so you you were behind the the burrow pitch purchasing program to begin with, right? And when it began at the time that said like, okay, we need to we need to buy a barrel. Um, how do you choose the people that actually buy the barrel, right? Like, how are the how are how do you find the the right tasters that are going to be to say like we're going to choose the right barrel that are going to be able to, to be the best palates behind of what we're going to put in front of our consumers? Sure. Well, well, everybody has to be different because if everybody had the same palate, then you would not have the um, the best overall variety of barrels you could. You, that people would say, okay, that's a great barrel, or no, that's a really horrible barrel. So you need to have a variety of, of palates, people who taste sweetness, people who taste spice, people who taste proof, people who taste um, uh, finish, uh, people who have uh, incredible uh, noses to be able to uh, discern you know, the differences between caramel, vanilla, cedar, oak, um, all those flavors that go into... Um, a particular barrel. And uh, so I think it's so, so vital that you have a person who, or a group of people who um, taste different things. So you end up with the the best barrel or the best single barrel that you can possibly have to, to educate, ultimately educate your customers when they're coming in your store and saying, okay, we picked, we picked this particular barrel out of this particular warehouse, out of this particular rick in the warehouse and it was this particular proof at this particular age, and it was incredible. And we proofed it down to this 120 proof or this 110 proof, and we only had to add this amount of water to make it what it is, and you will love it. And it would be a great gift. It would be a great, you know, just a great bottle to have your bar um, to sell to your customers and so forth. So uh, I find that just really fascinating. Good. So I think I think that's going to play in very well to the uh, to the guest we have today, as well as to the kind of topic of today, which is just basically just tasting in general, right? And so today we have our guests today, Elizabeth McCall. McCall is the sensory scientist and master taster at Brown Foreman. So uh, Elizabeth, welcome to the show. First off and foremost. Thank you for having me. Okay, great. So the the first thing I want to ask you is before we get into just the tasting of, of Brown Foreman and Brown Foreman products, just 
give us the history about you. Like, tell us about how you got into this position. How did you get into the job of just tasting bourbon in general? Um, I would say it was a very lucky <laughs> journey that got me here. Um, I wasn't necessarily set out uh, to do anything in the alcohol industry. I kind of was just looking for a job <laughs> that would be something that was interesting and that I found to be, that was just, would, would push me to, to learn. And um, so when I gra was graduating from my graduate program at the University of Louisville, I got my graduate degree in counseling psychology and um, the jobs weren't exciting necessarily. Not that I thought they would be, but uh, I don't know what I thought going into the program. Um, but I was fortunate enough to be at my younger brother's uh, graduation party from high school. He's a lot younger than I am. And um, there was a man there who, who said, heard me talking about needing to find a job. And he said to me, uh, well, you know, we hire psychologists um, in the lab at Brown Foreman, and you know, we're it's just a technician job, very entry level. You'll be washing dishes, setting up taste panels, da da da. You know, you'll have to recruit panelists. And I was like, oh, sign me up. I was like, asking people to come and drink alcohol and then run it's it. Booze, like, right? I mean, I was yeah. like, where you know, I'm. I sent my resume, and I think that night, like, I literally was like, this is so cool. Had no idea that a job existed. Uh, for somebody who had a sensory degree, or not a sensory degree, but a psychology degree, that that existed. Um, so I was really excited about that opportunity. And then it just kind of took off from there. I got in, got a, you know, got a, uh, an interview and I got in and I just was like, you know, figured it out. I had no idea what sensory was or what methodology meant with doing sensory testing. So it's all kind of learned within Brown Foreman. So I guess kind of talk a little bit more about your, your family history, because I know you had uh, a, a mother or a grandmother that was also in this kind of thing. So uh, was was it a family influence as well that, when it came um, to this? Yes. So definitely family definitely played a role. Um, my mother was at Seagram's, which is closed, but that was um, in the, Lawrenceburg, Indiana. She was at that plant um, in production and, and kind of did a role at the production facility there. Um, so it's definitely in my roots in that sense. And then um, my dad has always been a supporter of the bourbon industry here in Kentucky. Um, <laughs> we, we like it. I think we all are, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, awesome. yeah. So my dad was somebody who was a huge influence when he found out about this job. It was like he was gung ho. Like, you, you know, you got to get this. So I guess I guess tell us more about your 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 efforts into the the brown spirits, right? So because how did you how did you actually get into the point where you said like okay, um, you know I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my foot in, I'm gonna like I'm gonna dabble my 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 feet into the the you know the the spirit industry. I'm gonna go ahead and just try the thing with brown foreman, but like. How'd you get to the point where you are like right now? So I guess give us a little bit more background about that. Um, I was fortunate enough to get into this industry when bourbon was really taking off. Uh, I've been with Brown Foreman now for almost, well, I guess seven and a half years, um, a little over that. And, you know, seven and a half years ago, bourbon was just starting to really become this, the bourbon boom that we're in right now. Um, and... Everyone who knew I worked at Brown Foreman was like, you work at an alcohol company. Well, what's the difference between bourbon and whiskey? And what are these different rules and how is it made? And and what are the different grain recipes do? Da, da, da. Well, I didn't know. I mean, I was your I was a psychology major. How, how do I know this stuff? Um, I was still trying to figure out just what sensory method to use. And um, so I just started doing research. I mean, Brown Foreman is awesome. They have great programs that kind of offers tools to learn, but I started doing kind of diving in myself. Um, I was fortunate to be on the new whiskey panel and the warehouse panel, which is maturing whiskey. So in my role as a quality control sensory uh, scientist there, I had to learn about those things. And I also pushed myself to learn. And, um, and then slowly it just kind of uh, went to the Spirits Academy, which was a program that not everyone can go to at Brown Foreman. It's offered to basically salespeople. And I was, you know, in research and development, it's like, well, you don't really need that. But I wanted to know. I wanted to learn everything. And that was my opportunity. I mean, I knew Chris Morris. He didn't really know who I was. <laughs> um, but I, I went to that 
program. And that's where I kind of was, he got to know me. I was helping him set up panels. I asked a million questions. I was that person like constantly raising my hand or having input. And um, that's where he saw me. And then I was asked if I wanted to train to be master taster. So at that point in time, I had had five years of experience in the sensory department. So I really had learned a lot. Um, But it was you know, fortunate timing on just kind of the industry and having people around me wanting to know, and then it grew my interest as well. So let's let's roll back just a little bit, right? And mm-hmm. I want to roll back to the point when you said, like, you know, I, I didn't know if I, this was like the thing I wanted to do or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. um, you said that you know your 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 mother or was your grandmother that said that she was in this business as well, mm-hmm. like. What what really made you say like you know what like this might be a good opportunity like what what was what was the what was the the implementing factor right there? Um, that's a really good question. I mean, I I guess knowing that my mom had done something in the industry like that that was a really it was to have a woman in the seventies to be working amongst. A bunch of you know men that were doing stuff and making calls, and she's ordering people around. She wasn't just like a line worker. I mean, she was managing people, and um, so that was inspiring. My mom always taught me to. I mean, I never thought I couldn't do. There was a job I couldn't do, so I knew I was capable of doing those things. And and the alcohol industry is very intriguing. And and to do something that your dad also thinks is cool. Like my mom thought it was cool. But my mom also thought Brown Foreman's a great company to work for. So she wanted me there just because she knew her good experiences with Seagram's. um, And then she wanted that for me. But then it's also to have something that like, I'm going to do something that the, that's cool and, the, and kind of the boys only club at the time. It was very much. You were blazing your own trail. Thought of. Yeah, it was thought of in that way. But I didn't. I, I hate to say that because I know I talk to women all the time who have been drinking bourbon for a very long time. And um, but I was definitely new to it. It wasn't something that was I didn't know bourbon was clear when it came off the still. I don't know what I thought it was, but I didn't know that about it. And so, I mean, all of my learning was there and it just was this drive. I don't know. I just wanted to know. I think, you know, just just a segue on that a little bit is, you know, there's a lot of I mean, one of the growth growing categories is females drinking whiskey and bourbon in particular. And I think you're, you hit an excellent point there where the, one of the largest growing categories of people to drinking whiskey is women. Mm-hmm. And you say you didn't know that it came clear off the steel. Mm-hmm. And that, that just goes to show that there's millions of, of women out there in the United States and probably all over the world that, are thinking exactly like you that want to learn more about the spirit and how it's made in the process. And it's, it's, it's women like you who can really educate and have some commonality with other women mm-hmm. uh, to bring them into the, the spirit, maybe away from vodka or away from gin mm-hmm. or away from maybe clear rum or whatever. So. Yep, exactly. I mean, it's 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 kind of a weird thing to think of yourself as somebody in that light that people pioneer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I never really saw myself in that role. I just have been doing something that I've been passionate about, and um, I've never really been just a, a girl's girl. I guess I, I have an older brother and a younger brother, and um, they kept me in line. I guess. Um, but. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, but it's, it's great seeing women are driving the category. I mean, women are excited and, and, but I know that there are women who've been drinking bourbon for a long time and there are still people, you know, you talk to just men. I mean, there's such a huge interest right now in bourbon and everybody's sort of an expert in some regard. You know, they, they, you know, listen to all the podcasts out there. There's so much information that's really great. And so it's fun to, when you go out to events and you can have conversation with people who, you know, you can still teach them, even if it's like a man, you know, or somebody like my dad who has been a bourbon lover his whole life. And you're like, dad, did you know this? And he's like, I didn't know that. So it's fun. And it's a great kind of thing, hat to wear, I guess, for me. Absolutely. And so, you know, one one of the things that I find, it almost kind of strikes me, right? Is that we've had we've had a plenty of master seals on here, right? Like we've had Chris on the show before, mm-hmm. and we we we're always able to get their side of the story. And their side of the story is always that you know we've got this whole other side of the whole other side of the industry that, or should I say, of of our brand 
that, that doesn't get enough recognition. And those are the people that are the tasters. Those are the ones that are on the tasting panel. Those are the ones that really, um, not just the master distiller, but the ones that are really like making sure the product mm-hmm. is uh, consistent the way it comes out. So I guess kind of give us the, uh, the in, because you are, you are that person, right? Mm-hmm. You're like one of the first people we had on here that said, we, we understand that, that there's all this whole other side of, Who's going to be tasting it? Who's going to be judging it? Who's going to be able to say, this is not going to be um, our brand staple? Mm -hmm. So I guess give us some little insight about what that is to be in that sort of position. Okay. Um, This is where I draw a a huge amount of just, it's my comfort zone. It's my pride. It's... um, where I got my start. So sensory at Brown Foreman, we have three different areas and our sensory panelists are so important to us. Um, We have, I was on the quality side, the kind of the expert side of quality control tasting. So we did a lot of just making sure people knew how to look for any kind of issue defect that's going on. You weren't doing the, the romanticized language of the nice toasted oak and <laughs> and caramel vanilla notes and cherry and all that that that's whatever, you read, whatever you read on the label yeah. yeah you know all those things so that that's a different panel we do have a panel that I help start uh, for that but um, and we have a research panel uh, that is kind of shelf life testing and also just threshold I mean it's very fascinating stuff and and um, you don't always think of the bourbon industry in this way that you're using such a, uh, a a strong methodology and statistical analysis of of your product to understand it uh, from a human perspective. But at the end of the day, you know, we have our analyticals that we do chemistry um, that we run on the product. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't taste good to a person, and if a person can pick it up, it doesn't matter what the instrument says. It matters what a human being says. So on the sensory side that I was on, we have ways to calibrate panelists. So we actually create markers like defective samples. And um, I traveled to all of our global production facilities to train people on how to pick up marker on these defective samples and how to properly nose and taste our products, not only whiskey, but tequila and our um, formulated products and up to Finland and all that. So um, many different places. And it's so fun to know how much quality people put behind their products and how much quality Brown Foreman puts behind their products. Um, So it's like the behind the scenes is these panelists that are highly trained. So they know how to pick up defects. You know, when it comes to our new whiskey, um, they are, every panel has you know, it's a very small panel of highly trained panelists, but we we want to have a minimum of five, and but we'll kick out a lot of ballots in one day just because we consider it. You know, if somebody doesn't get the marker sample, they're considered defective. Their instrument is broken, and they are tossed out of the panel for that day. It's not that they can't come back, and and a lot of times our panelists are so competitive about it and care so much. I mean, they come back and look at the key, and they try to understand why they didn't get whatever the defect was. And it's all spiked things, and, and it's very rare that we actually see these in a live sample, but it's a way of making sure our panelists are being really diligent, good panelists, and they're in their good instruments. And just like any instrument, you, every day you come into the lab and you calibrate it and you make sure it hits its marks. And if it doesn't, it's not good. So these people are tasting. Mm-hmm. Nosing and tasting. Majority of it's nosing just because you can get so much out of aroma as opposed to to taste. Um, but sometimes you'll have to taste. And is there a, a list uh, that exists where I can sign up for this? <laughs> because we actually do. We have the Brown Foreman Consumer Advisory because Panel. Because I would totally sign up for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have the Consumer Advisory Panel um, that is open to everyone to be on, and that's more of a research-based uh, panel. It's not this one. This one's close to a lot of internal Brown Foreman employees who are very close with the products. So I guess that, that also just goes into the whole, like, the, the whole the whole mindset of there is a there is a, a psyche of there's these people in these white lab coats and they're, they're, they're mine has my name on it exactly. <laughs> I have two <laughs> exactly right so so give our give our listeners a bit more about like what happens behind the behind that curtain right like what happens else behind uh, it just in just in regards of of just tasting in general like what happens when uh, something is aged in a rick house and it's ready to be ready to be tasted. And you know what? We, we've all been there. We've all tasted something that's maybe straight out of the barrel. And we've just taken a sample of it. But like, 
what happens when it has to go behind the people that are pushing it to the market? Like what happens when it goes and says like, hey, this is going to go to the people that need to decide. Like, is this the barrel that's going to be up to snuff of what, what else is out there? Uh, it's a good question. We have a lot that goes on. So um, say, for instance, Woodford Reserve wanted to come out with a new product. It would first come from myself and Chris Morris, kind of the 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 innovation of it. Number so, one and number two. Yes. Yeah, so like we just sit down and we talk about plan, idea, just what 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 are the possibilities? Because there's a lot when it comes to whiskey. Um, and and the finishes, just grain recipes, you name it, there's a lot. So there's a lot of brainstorming involved. And then say you get that, well then you gotta kind of prototype. You gotta think about how do you, if you want to finish something and say like some kind of port barrel, well, you know, what is that going to look like with whatever product? And, you know, we have ways of knowing what percentage would be absorbed from the barrel that it's finished in. So say it'll be around 4% or so. Um, you can make a little prototype. You take your Woodford product, whichever family member you want it to be, or maybe it's a new one, and you make that and then you add five percent or four percent of your of your port and make it in a little and you've got a little hundred mil. Well so then that's another step. So then we all sit down and we taste it because you know we want to first of all Chris and I say, yeah, this is good. But then we have other people on our team that also are involved to help make sure that that they agree because it's brand and a lot of other people involved to make sure that it still fits what we want Woodford to, to do. But at the end of the day, it's, you know, ultimately Chris Morris gets to be the one who puts his stamp of approval on it. And then I kind of get to help out and just be cool enough to be alongside him. We'll, um, just, say, we'll just say you're the secondary sample. Of <laughs> Let me ask you this. Yeah. Has there ever been a time when Chris Morris has said, like, this is awesome. And then you've come back and said, no, this is not. We need to, you know, you know, fall back hit the drawing board one more time and then go back again? Um, there have been times when we've been out in the warehouse sampling barrels and talking about like when we're looking at something that may have an issue or whatever, we will taste and I've disagreed with them on things before and kind of said, I think that this might not be our up to our standard because when you're tasting so many samples, it can happen, you know, your, your palates and then he'll, he'll come back like, you know what, you're right. I think we should just nix that one or, um, and then in terms of like innovation, um, not as much, uh, he and I, it's interesting. We've got good palate symmetry. Um, I usually pick up on more of the sweet aromatic notes, but then Chris, he's really good at picking up floral and a lot of the fruity notes. So, uh, when we taste a lot of times it's like, I'll get those. And then he brings in like, well, are you getting this? And I'm like, Oh yeah, I can kind of see that. So it's, it's fun in that regard. And, and, um, he's an amazing person to work with cause he's such a kind person and he'll listen to my ideas. And even if maybe they're not something he totally agrees with, he'll go, okay, I like that. That's good. And, you know, we'll go on. But um, yeah, I haven't fully disagreed with them on anything yet. We'll see. <laughs> if you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, 
Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. So, you know, you came from a psychologist kind of background. Mm-hmm. And when you were when you were interviewing, they said, you know, a psychologist would be a, a very good kind of, um, uh, I guess you say, uh, um, uh, it fits the bill for for what this is, right? So, kind of kind of talk about what it means to be a psychologist in a sensory scientist sort of role. Okay, so the main thing with that is that you're using human beings as your instruments. Uh, that is the basis for having psychologists use or psychologists in the sensory department. Um, everything that a human being touches is all psychology based. If you think about it, uh, when, a, a, when you're thinking of bottle design, um, the pat, like the label, even colors of things, all is influencing a human being to respond in a certain way to a product. And all we are doing, because it's that's a psychology thing. I mean, that is the study of human beings. Um, people do it in focus groups all the time. We're simply taking human beings and putting methodology behind how they're tasting. So this type of test. So we'll run like a triangle test. You have two, three glasses in front of you. Two of them are the same. One is different. Can people pick out which one's different. And we have a number of people, we'll have 60 panelists or 30 panelists that make sure that we can get a, a big enough group um, of people to taste to make sure that it can be a significant result. And um, we're looking at it from that perspective. How many people picked it out? How many people didn't? How many people were just guessing? And there's a whole um, statistical analysis that goes on behind doing that so that you can know um, is there a significant difference found or not? And sometimes you want one found and sometimes you don't want one found. Um, so that's where the psychology comes in. And I remember being in class thinking, I'll never use these statistics <laughs> classes because I'm going to just do therapy with people and then come to find out you use statistics all the time in psychology. The data never lies, right? No, it doesn't. And <laughs> exactly. so it, it kind of dumbs down the the sensory, but it's also fascinating at the same time. I find it fascinating. So I think um, when we look at this, and you, and you, you're on a tasting panel, and you're one of the most important people when it comes to actually discerning which brand is going to brand as your as your tasting product can roll off the brown form in line. What's the most important sense that you can you can say is this is the most important one? Like I, I can nose it, I can taste it, I can, I don't know, feel it, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would say I would see it, but I mean, kind of like when you look at brown caramel, it, it, it's really hard to say. But so, yeah. so side of sense isn't always there. But kind of, what's what's the more important sense to you when you when you look at this? I would say nosing is your, your sense of smell because if you don't have your sense of smell, you don't have your taste either. Taste when you, when you break it down is salty, sweet, sour, uh, fatty. You know, um, that's that's your sense of taste, and you're knows what you get and smell, and then the combination is your aromatics, and that's so important. Um, so if you don't have your nose, like if, I, if I'm sick and that's a terrible, I've had that, where I've gotten like allergies kicking up and um, people come out to taste and you're just like, oh, good thing I know, you know, the flavor will really, I can kind of get by because you can, and you can get a little bit once you start to taste, it kind of, you know, floods up into your, um, your whole olfactory system and all that. But, um, but yeah, it's, you're, it's a bummer. And if I lost my sense of smell, I would be out of a job. It's like, it's like your nose and your nose is your gatekeeper, right? Mm-hmm. Be, before you have anything else, you got to have that gatekeeper of your nose to be able to, to smell all the different aromas that, that come from that whiskey. And without that, you can't progress further down the line of, of, of what a whiskey, you know, does for your senses, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, taste or finish, you got to have the nose to begin with. And I was about to say, I was like, what, what do you ha- what happens if you come to the job and you've, you've got a, you got a head cold, 
Oh, yeah. You got a sniffle. You got to call out sick, right? It, it ha- I mean, it does happen where I've had a head cold. A, a lot of naphrin. <laughs> um, a good hot toddy at night. Uh, well, what, that's why they have mis- remedy? Uh, medicinal whiskey is, is why they created that. Exactly. Oh, that, is that what it is? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but I will definitely, there are days I, I've come, I've been at work and I'm like, sorry, I do have a cold and I, it depends on what my job duty is that day, I guess. It's like, well, if I'm just coming out and doing kind of the, I guess the unglamorous, boring part of my job, um, then it doesn't matter. But if I'm doing hosting a taste personal selection that day, so we have our Woodford Reserve personal selection program and people come out and, you know, you want to really give them this great experience, but you just kind of have to let them know, I have a cold, you're going to let you lead this, but uh, here's flavor wheel, you can do it. And you just have to own up to it and know that, you know, you don't want to lie to people like, oh, here, I'm going to make this up. But I mean, I can hint to people, well, do you get vanilla notes or do you get cherry? Because I do know Woodford very well. I say I have an intimate relationship with Woodford Reserve. So um, I can rely on that, my my um, history with the with the product. But yeah, it's a bummer day. And I mean, I, I tell you, when it was like a week and a half of a cold, it was kind of scary because <laughs> that's what you rely on. And I've heard of people taking medicines and it totally uh, eliminates their sense of smell. And if that were to happen to me... I would not. I would be out of a job. So spring, <laughs> springtime and fall time are, are my times for allergies. Mm-hmm. You know, May, April, and then you know September, October, August, or whatever. And, you know, I can drink bourbon, but I can't. A lot of times, I can't nose it because mm-hmm. of the allergies going on. So I would not be. I would not be in my prime for that for those exactly. months. And you just have to own it. It's yeah, just, absolutely. It is what it is. <laughs> so that kind of leads into the next question. So, so Matt Fisher from Facebook asks. He says, "So it's super nerdy and specific, but um, with most bourbon drinkers, using Glen Cairn glasses at home is pretty much a, a standard. Mm-hmm. Yet, however, when you go to the distillery, um, uh, Copita or uh, Capita nosing glasses are pretty much a standard." So why would you use Capita versus uh, Glencairn when you're sitting there tasting on a panel? I don't know. Um, we use Glencairn here at Woodford Reserve. Okay. Um, so we, I don't know why you'd use another one. I mean, you definitely want a tulip-shaped glass for when you're when you're doing tastings. Um, so yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. You want so so I guess go into why would you use a tulip okay. shaped glass? So you want to use a tulip shaped glass because the way that it's shaped, um, it helps to capture a lot of those aromas and kind of focus them towards one area, so towards your nose. Um, if you have just an open glass like the ones like a rocks glass, uh, those are not. It's just open and it doesn't capture it. So this would be fine if it had a little tulip going in and it would kind of help uh, centralize those aromas. Um, we actually did a tasting and um, where we were tasting a bunch of different glasses. This might be a little inside secret, it's but okay. look, Keep going. look for a bourbon glass to come out that is ideal for tasting bourbon and, and um, something that all the masters got together and did. And I got to be a part of that. So cool. look for it to come. Um, I mean, because 2017. <laughs> I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Because right. I mean, when you think Christmas about it, gift. like it's um, because I think I think oh, it's probably like it had to be at least like a year and a half ago, and everybody started buying a lot of a lot of um those glasses, a lot of lot of lot of those Glencairn glasses, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden people started buying like oh, I want to get glasses that have stems on them, and then there was the the Norlands glass that came out, mm-hmm. and then there was a whole lot of those 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 things that said like. Uh, you know, they, they want to pick different things out of it or whatever it is. But, you know, I, I'm looking at you and thinking like, okay, so, you know, you're, you're in the sensory department. Like when, you, when you're sitting there and you're drinking out of a particular, like what is the, what is the particular glass that you drink out of to say like, this is, this is what we're baselining off of. Like how do, how do we try to figure out what is the, what is, what is the bottom line? Like what is, what is, I wouldn't say bottom line, but it was our, what is our baseline to try to figure out? Like this is how we this is how we figure out our zero, and this is where we, we figure out our hundred. Um, well, when we did our experimentation with a bunch of different glass types, and we we did every type, we did kind of like a fluted, like a champagne type glass. We did stemless, some with stems, um, all the way to like more of the brandy type of glass. Um, this is really fat and in different types of tops on them. So some of them were tuliped in. Some of them kind of came in, but then went out a little bit like a trumpet. Um, so we really 
went and tried them all and just took notes on which what were the different attributes and overall just which one did you prefer the most? And we just whittled it down every single time. And when we're in our sensory lab, we have little, uh, they look like little wine glasses. They're, they're just, but they're little, they look like little tulips, honestly. I mean, they just kind of come together and they're small. Um, that's basically the, what I think is the best glass to use in terms of just general generality um, across the board, any kind of product. You just want that tulip shape. Um, we do use watch glasses. So that's a little piece of glass that goes over the top of your glass and you can swirl in that and it'll capture uh, any aromas in the headspace. So you can kind of slide it off and get a huge concentration. Yeah. yeah. And, um, that's the best. I wish I would have brought some over with, with me, um, from the lab, but I mean, that's really next the, time we'll make yeah, it we'll make next, it time. next time. Um, but it, it makes a big difference when you're trying to pick up on specifics. Absolutely. So I guess the, another question I want to ask, because, you know, you, you had started as a, you know, a, an associate and you had kind of worked your way up. But for anybody else that wants to sit there and try to take the same career path that you did, what does it really take to become uh, a master taster? Kind of, kind of, kind of talk about that because I, I know that we all, we all get into these roles and we're say, oh, we're just lucky. You know, mm-hmm. we, we just lucked into it and, you know, we, we knew the right people at the right time and we, we got it at the right time, whatever it is. But, you know, for somebody that wants to get into the day, what's it really take for them to like really succeed? Um, I would, uh, won't say that, you know, it's luck and right place, right time, even though I think that that does play a huge chunk in it, no matter what role you're going into in your career. I mean, having a, uh, healthy, uh, social network of people and, um, that's a very important thing. Um, but cause I wouldn't have known about the job had I not heard about it. You know, it's just one of those things I heard about it at the right place. Um, but once I got into the job, I think working hard, I feel like I said yes to a lot of things and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I was just like, oh, okay, I'll figure it out. And I, it, I always think of myself in the movie, the devil wears Prada, um, <laughs> you know, where you're just handed these tasks and yeah. you're like, I don't know how I'm going to complete this, but I'll get it done. And then you just kind of rise to the challenge and you get it done. Um, And then having good managers, I I had excellent managers at Brown Foreman in my sensory role uh, with, with both, you know, my higher up manager and then my direct report manager, both were very good at helping me figure out my career path and what I wanted to do and seeing what I was good at. Um, and I would voice my opinion on what I what I enjoyed doing. And I enjoyed talking to people and I enjoy learning about bourbon. And I loved getting to travel around and do training. So it all kind of started to fit this, which Brown Foreman, when I first started, didn't even have this role as master taster. It was not even you know, something, I mean, maybe it was in somebody's thought cloud out there, but it wasn't a career or a job that you could sign up for and, and interview for. It was, they saw people that had specific qualities and I guess I, I had them. I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what Chris Morris was looking for. I was going to say, so, 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 <laughs> so rewind a little bit, like mm-hmm. talk about what was that specific quality you think that Chris Morris saw in you that, that wasn't anybody else? Um, I do think it was my desire, not just only Chris knowing this, but other people higher up at the company. I mean, I'm going around and I'm always like, sure, let me get up and talk in front of people. I love doing that. And a lot of this job is getting up in front of large groups of people and talking to them and just and being welcome, able to- welcome to the podcast, by the way. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and here I am talking to a whole bunch of people I don't know um, and just being comfortable to do that. And so that's a huge chunk of it because we have brilliant, brilliant people. I work with who I think are some of the best people in the industry here um, at Brown Foreman and at Woodford Reserve that are brilliant, that know just so much about bourbon and and how it's made and quality and just everything could answer a million questions, probably more than I could, because um, I am still learning for sure. Um, but they don't want to be out there and being in this role. Um, so I think that having that, that desire to want to talk in front of people is another thing. And um, being likable. You have to sure. be somebody that people Absolutely. want to sit down and talk to. Um, and so I, I have one of those, I guess, personality defects of just wanting to be liked. So uh, that I think helps. But then I think when I was at that Spirits Academy with Chris Morris, um, I was 
speaking up and I was asking a lot of questions and I literally was the person sitting at the front of the classroom or the front of the bus listening to every word he had to say because I was like, um, who gets this opportunity to be with Chris Morris and to learn in any question I wanted to ask, I had the opportunity to ask it. Um, so I was diligent about that. Um, and so it's just putting yourself out there is a huge chunk of it. And then working really hard. I mean, I didn't I didn't know anything about sensory or bourbon and now I'm here. And so I, I work hard every day and I don't I like to be humble about that, but it is true you you have to work really hard to kind of learn things and not always just do it from nine to five when you're um, in the office. It's out of the office. The squeaky wheel gets the grease yeah. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with that. I think also, you know, like you said, willing, I think you're willing to, you know, put yourself out there. Um, you, you know, you have, when you sign up or are hired for a job, you have specific job responsibilities. Mm-hmm. But uh, make no mistake, somebody's hiring you for, you know, your mind, your your productivity, and the ability to do a job. But you're also hiring somebody to be willing to take on roles and responsibilities that may may come up that you don't have no idea, and being willing to adjust mm-hmm. and 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 be, you know, uh, forward thinking to to take on things that that the company may take on in another year from now. And so they're thinking about that person who can can take on that role and responsibility, you know. Without regard to failing, mm-hmm. be trying, you know, try your hardest. And if you fail, you know, so be it. But at, at least you're willing to put yourself out there to, to, you know, help yourself grow, but also the company grow. And, you know, the pe- managers see that mm-hmm. and they saw that in, in you. That's why you're here right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's very important for, for, you know, a manager to be able to, to, to see that person, um, to bring them and groom them. To, to be where they are today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's putting in your, I always like to say this too, that you put in your blood, sweat, and tears. You don't go into it thinking like expecting to be at a certain level. I never expected to be where I am today. I just have always been very grateful that I am where I am and I just keep working hard and never get complacent in where you are and that like, oh, I'm fine. I mean, it's, you put in your blood, sweat, and tears and you, you have to work to get to wherever you are. You don't just like get handed it because you showed up. <laughs> Absolutely. Exactly. So so we're reaching the top of the hour here, maybe the top of the 35, 45 minute mark here. But I want to I want to leave with a with two thoughts here because mm-hmm. you you had a you had a very good uh, I, I watched your presentation on change. Mm-hmm. I, I did watch it and you had a, a towards the end you kind of talked about how everybody needs to just drink what they like. It doesn't matter if you mix it with Coke, you mix it with ginger ale, you just mm-hmm. drink it on the street or drink it with rocks. So I want you to talk about the psyche of why people mix their bourbon with Coke. Because I think when you when you talked it on there, I, I was like, I was profound. Because, <laughs> because when I was in college, that's what, I mean, I just drink bourbon with Coke. Like, that's just what everybody did, right? Yeah. But, but I never had any psyche behind it. So kind of talk about that. Okay, well, this is going to be my <laughs> personal. I've never done any research on this. Um, but, you know, people, first of all, Coke was... Made, I mean, it complements bourbon so well, no matter which product you're drinking. Um, there's so many great things that go on in a glass of bourbon, um, and there's a lot of really interesting things that go on in a Coca Cola. So, there's clove notes, you know, there's, there's citrus notes, um, which are all found in bourbon, there's vanillas and caramels. Um, so, those match really well. So you've got that natural that they just fit well together. Um, but I like to think of it when drinking beer. I like to kind of compare like that. So when you first started drinking beer, I'm sure most people started out drinking Natty Light or Miller Light or, you know, every Natty yeah. Light for sure. watered down. UK, you know. UK life right over yes, here. Like, yes, absolutely. Exactly. I mean, uh, everybody had boxes that all around their college houses. Um, and so it, you didn't start out drinking the ultra craft beers that are like take a minute to really, it takes you like an hour to drink through them sometimes because they're so loaded with different flavors and, or extremely hoppy or whatever it may be. Um, just like a glass of bourbon. I mean, you can start out with your bottom shelf, which we probably did because pocketbooks are not quite what they are when you get older. Um, but it's a well, an easy way, you know, they're both brown, um, so color plays a role in that. Cause when I saw people mixing bourbon or their whiskey with like Sprite, I thought that was weird. And now I understand why, but, um, 
but the the R- color. Wait, wait, hold on. Rewind. Why? <laughs> well, I um I thought it was weird because Sprite is clear, and how? Why would you put a brown product in that? That's gross. But I now am a huge fan of bourbon and lemonade and why? citrus. Keep citrus. going. Keep going. I want to hear Citrus why. is so good with bourbon. There like we go. citrus is amazing with bourbon. You can um, use your orange peel or a lemon. Just bourbon on the rocks with lemon is so refreshing on a, like a hot summer day. It just adds a little something to it. Um, so I, I love that. So citrus is a great pairing with, with bourbon. Um, but getting back to the Coke thing, it's, uh, I think it's just a baby step. It's a way to get people introduce them because a lot of times the first time you pick up a glass of bourbon, it's like, whoa, it's a, it's an acquired taste sure. in a lot of ways just because it's high proof and you want to cut the proof down. And um, so it's an, a very easy way to drink bourbon when you're new to the bourbon category. I think on that is when you're young and in college or maybe after college and you're partying with your friends and you, you drink bourbon, you, you want to extend your drinking shelf life that <laughs> evening or that night for a long period of time. And if you have a shot or two of bourbon, at least for me, you know, I'm, I'm toasty after about a shot. Mm-hmm. But if you cut it down with Coke or in my case, I grew up on Woodford and ginger ale. Mm, yeah. That's that was my drink. Woodford yeah. and like, you know, ginger ale or ale eight one. Yeah. Awesome. But you had to extend your drinking life for a few hours. And the way to do that was either with water or Coke or ginger ale. In my case was, you know, ginger ale to, mm-hmm. to be able to, you know, start drinking around eight o'clock at night. And <laughs> still know, make maybe, it. And, and still be okay. <laughs> you know, 4 a.m. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. now you can Uber it, but, yeah. you know, you know, call a friend to drive you home. But still, you could extend your drinking, you know, evening a little bit because you could cut it with something kind of sweet. And, mm-hmm. kind of, and adding sugar. It, no matter, we've done tons of blind studies and asked people what they prefer. People always prefer a little sugar in their whiskey or bourbon, always. And and they, if you ask them outright, they're going to say, no, I like it just neat, plain. But when they're blind and they think they're just tasting a regular bourbon, whenever it's got a little sweetener in it, oh, people like it. They prefer it. Everybody loves cavities. At yeah, the end of the day. they do. Everybody loves sweetness. Come on. <laughs> so it makes it more palatable always. So we're going to wrap this up. And I, I just want to just kind of give a plug to you because I know you're very much a philanthropist, right? So kind of talk about uh, what you do outside of bourbon as well. Um, outside of bourbon, um, I am on the board for Green Hill Therapy. So it, I ride horses and that's near and dear to my heart. So Green Hill Therapy is the combination of horses and children. Um, so I get to... Uh, work with with kids that go out and ride horses not only for what they think is fun but they're actually getting a lot of physical and occupational therapy out of it and these are kids that have physical ailments as well as you know sensory type issues or on the um, autism spectrum so it's it's a, a good combination for me so I spend a lot of time with Green Hill outside of here so, yeah. Awesome. Elizabeth, I want to say thank you for joining us on the show today. Uh, you know, Lyndon, thank you for co-hosting Absolutely. today. Thank you. Yeah, thank this you. is fantastic. Uh, anybody that you want to get in contact with us, uh, actually, if you want to get in contact with Elizabeth, how do they get in contact with you, whether it's on Twitter or Facebook? Like, how do they how do they want to know about more about you? Okay. Um, they can find me on Facebook or on Instagram, um, just under my name, Elizabeth McCall. Um, and then, you know, email is Elizabeth McCall uh, at bf.com. There you go. And if you want to follow more about Bourbon Pursuit, you can do that on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Bourbon Pursuit. Uh, you can also, if you like what you hear, make sure you sponsor the show. It's Bourbon Pursuit. Uh, at, sorry, at patreon.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. And uh, if you have any suggestions for guests or anything else that you want to hear on the show, make sure you send us an email. It's the duo, T-H-E-D-U-O at the bourbon pursuit.com. And with that, we will see you all next week. Mm-hmm.